So the topic is the seven factors of awakening. Today the particular one is tranquility. Now these, um, the word for awakening in Pali is bodhi. And it's the uh, same word that gives us Buddha. So Bodhi is to be awake. Buddha is one who is awake. It's also the word that uh, in English has given us the, the word Buddhism. And one way of translating this maybe into fully English is um, Awakeism. We are practicing awakeism. And if we went around and people asked, I don't know if you're Buddhist, but if you asked, you know, what are you doing? You know, I'm practicing Buddhism. You get one response. But if you said to them, I'm practicing wakeism, I wonder what kind of response you'd get then. For one thing, then you'd be accountable. They'd look at you. <laughs> Are you awake? Are you paying attention? Are you here? To be awake. So in some ways, this wonderful evocative term, to be awake, of course you're awake. Uh, you know, I don't see anyone sleeping during the talk yet. <laughs> so for the time being, you you're all awake. So it doesn't mean kind of ordinary wakefulness. It means something different than just waking up from a nap. But it does imply that when we're not awake, that the corollary is something like that we're asleep. And I wonder how many people practice uh, sleepism. <coughs> <laughs> volunteer <laughs> and um, <coughs> so somehow that we are not paying attention we're not awake or clear about what's going on in some kind of useful significant way <coughs> but we're lost in thought lost in confusion lost in delusion lost in the past, lost in the future, something that many spiritual traditions will call being asleep. And then to come out of that stupor, come out of that, <coughs> is to wake up. What I like about this word a lot is that it's a subjective word in the sense that it points to a subjective experience that in and of itself doesn't require anything to change except not being asleep, to be awake. Um, <clears throat> if someone said, you know, I was awake to something, I was awake to the violence in our society, it means that they're noticing it, they're present for it, they're paying attention in some important way.
someone who's at home, a parent's at home, and the baby's crying, and they're involved in their video game, and the spouse says, wake up, where are you? You know, they are awake, but you know, it's more than just pay attention. It's like, almost like get real, wake up. But to wake up, to be awake, is a state of attention, state of being aware that is different than changing the world, different than changing even yourself in some ways. It's being awake, it's kind of creating space, it's being open, it's being maybe free of what's happening. And in the awake state, what we're awake to, in a certain way, at least initially, in the awake state itself, is allowed to be as it is. And I think this is a very profound and, and, and actually very important ability. The ability to allow each thing that you encounter to be itself, each person you encounter to be themselves, to be awake to them, to it, whatever it is, but not initially, automatically needing it to fit into our worldview, fit into our desires, fit into our preferences, our agendas, and this idea of being awake. My reference point for being awake, that uh, kind of conventional, ordinary, kind of closest thing to it maybe, is um, waking, up from a, waking up well from a good nap. Occasionally I'll take a nap and I wake up and um, it's so good that I don't want to get out of bed. Uh, or say it differently, yeah, maybe that's fine, I don't want to get, I, I don't want that, I'm content. There's no desires, really. If there's no desires, then there's no desire to get up. <laughs> and so I lay there and look at the ceiling and uh, very content and, and I'm clearly awake. Um, there's no more sleepiness. There's a kind of a clarity to just being aware there's kind of the second factor is awakening is there because sometimes the sun is coming in through the window. Um, I'm right there with the watching the, the floating dust as it goes through the light beams. It's like, wow. And it's right there. It's like, you know, I'm not mesmerized. I'm not focused, but I'm just, I'm noticing clearly that what's happening or sometimes I look at my ceiling and you know I'm there with it I see it investigating it's sensing it experiencing it and the energy is there but it's not the kind of energy that maybe some people consider energy which is which is work some people if you, if you say the word apply effort you know have effort in your practice they interpret it to mean work but laying there after my nap um, I clearly have energy, but there's no work. I clearly no longer lethargic or tired, dragging. I'm just like, it's a kind of energy that's almost invisible because 
There's neither too much nor too little. It just is. It's like nice balance. And there's no question of needing to apply more effort or less effort. It's just there's effort. There's energy there, vitality. And there's a kind of contentment, a kind of joy. It's kind of like everything's good and fine, those few minutes. And there's tranquility. Tranquil, contented, peaceful state. No agitation. No sense of disturbance. No restlessness. Occasionally in this state, I do have a little thoughts that go through my mind worrying about This is a. This must be a problem. Because <laughs> you know, I'll never do anything. <laughs> and um, but that just goes fleeting. And then um, the samadhi factor of awakening. I don't know how much that's there, but maybe if I'm really mesmerized by the dust and the sunbeams, maybe just like right there. But if samadhi means being peaceful and being settled and being whole, I'm certainly peaceful and I felt a sense of contentment, wholeness. And there's a lot of equanimity, just at least in the bedroom with nothing else going on. You know, just nothing's going to disturb me. And there, you know, it comes and goes. And so it's a kind of a wonderful conventional sense of being awake that has nice qualities. In this mindfulness practice, kind of we're, we're, we're taking this practice of mindfulness, which has qualities that are like being awake. And we're practicing those qualities, so those qualities can become stronger. And so we can grow into, we can settle into, we can let go into the, our capacity to be awake. And So I like to say provocatively that um, Buddhism won't answer any of your important questions. And this Buddhist practice doesn't answer any questions. What it does is it dissolves your questions. Rather than solving your problems, it dissolves your problems. It offers a, and I love it that it's a, a solution because solutions also means a kind of a, <coughs> you know, a uh, liquid solution. So, you know, here we are, it's raining. <coughs> and, um, and so rather than, to this idea that rather than solving our problems, we're dissolving them. Rather than answering our questions, we find a solution that's different than the answer. Of course, there's good to solve our problems. It's good to, at times, it's good to have answers. So I said I was saying it provocatively. But it points to this idea that uh, Buddhist practice, the practice of wakefulness, wakeism, is a kind of a paradigm shift. It's kind of a radically different way of being in the world, being with oneself, being, then most people ever, you know, can ever conceive of or, or been introduced to in the course of their lifetime. And because it's so radically different, 
people often will come to the practice with their common assumptions about how they're supposed to find their way, how they're supposed to make progress or s solve their issues or do the work. And um, and one of them is that uh, there must be some, you know, if I just have some insight or see something, or understand something, I'll have the answers. And so we're looking for those answers. And some people read lots and lots of Buddhist books because, you know, it must be the answer. Sometimes people are uh, looking for uh, to be a different kind of person. You know, I'm not really up to snuff as a human being, and there must be a better way of being a human being, and so I just have to correct myself and fix myself, and then I'll be acceptable, then I'll be right. And so it's all about kind of a self-help program. Some people, um, there's a tremendous amount of um, um, attention to themselves that's operating. Um, for, for most people, uh, they themselves are the main character of their novel, of their life. And so, you know, both the antagonist and the protagonist. <laughs> it's kind of efficient <laughs> to have to be both. And, um, and so it's all about somehow um, getting the self to be changed or different or get to some place or it's all kind of oriented around this, what it does for the self. So there's maybe maybe a little bit of some of the common things that people do. Another one is that uh, they think that um, it's about fulfilling one's desires or avoiding all kinds of dangers and being safe and protected from any kind of challenges the world has to offer. <coughs> but I think Buddhism doesn't really, it's not really about that. But it is about discovering something, a paradigm different, it's a different thing. So it's a really a shift to perspectives. And I think this word awake, wakefulness, awakening, is trying to point to this other kind of way of being. Where we kind of get turned inside out, or we like a lotus that opens up fully, so the inside goes comes out, and that openness of awareness, that inside out of awareness, that is able to be big enough to hold everything within it, or the awareness that is awake enough that it's not troubled by what it's awake to. Where the state of being present and awake helps us to be non-reactive and not dependent on all the different things that go on inside us and around us. Because we're not negotiating the details of our life to be awake, we're waking up to them. And, you know, I, I like a little bit the idea that we're, in a sense, we're bigger than them. Or the Buddhists like to say that there is no self, so no self, no problem. We're, 
we, we kind of disappear in the middle of them. And so, you know, this whole idea of self, we, exactly, you know, but this idea that there's not, a, we're not being, we have a state of clarity, and in that clarity, there's room for all things. But the, the room is room for it. It's so much room that things are not in charge of us. No matter how many advertisements you see, the advertisers are not going to run your show. You're not going to be tempted or run around, pushed around by them. No matter what the politicians say about how dangerous and fearful things are, you don't, you, you're not, you're independent. You don't take it in. You don't, you know, you, it's not something you, you know, you're, you have this clarity, this openness, this space that you don't get, doesn't push your buttons. No matter what your friends say, it doesn't push your buttons. A big issue for me, my early years of practice, was uh, my compulsive desire to have anyone I met like me. And that was, you know, and the amount of social gymnastics that requires was ex was exhausting. And life has been a lot better since I stopped wanting everyone to like me. And it turns out more people like me. <laughs> so that's kind of nice, nice coincidence. But the, um, what I'm trying to point to is that uh, there is a way of being awake, being clear, being present, where there's a freedom, an ease, or a transparency, or like channels are open so things just go through us. There's no buttons to be pushed in this kind of being awake. So it's not about fixing the world or fixing ourselves, but it's kind of like being bigger or freer in the midst of it. So the Buddha, you know, had this problem when he, before he was a Buddha, and his problem was encapsulated in his encounter with sickness, old age, uh, sickness, old age, and death. And then they say that um, in his fourth time out of the palace, he encountered a monk, a renunciant. And, um, and he asked his uh, charioteer, taking him out, you know, who's that person? What is that? Well, that's a monk and uh, who's, fo who's a follower of the Dharma. And, but it was a description of the monk that um, is kind of touching, I think. It, it said that the, this monk um, um, lives lives tranquilly, peacefully, lives doing what's skillful, doing what's good, and 
has compassion for all beings. And this that these three things go together, to be tranquil, to have the capacity to do what's skillful, helpful, useful, good, but also to have compassion for the world. That's, I think of these kind of three to go, to get, go together. But the first one is to be tranquil. People who study tranquility as a human state say that tranquility is very important for people to be able to restore themselves. That when people do a lot of intense work, a lot of focus of the mind, uh, or they're sick or been injured, that uh, tranquil states of body and mind are very healing. It's supportive of the whole system going back to homeostasis or being uh, renewed in some important way. Tranquility has a very, very important role in human lives. And people who don't have time to be tranquil uh, don't have a chance to really renew themselves. One of the reasons people go spend time in nature is because of the tranquility that's there that renews them. And the people who study this tranquility research say that there's something about uh, the way attention works in tranquil settings that allows the attention to be focused, but it never gets tired. Whereas if we're doing intense work with our minds or our eyes or something, uh, really focused, you know, you can get really tired after a while. People have a certain kind of, certain lifetime of energy to be really be focused, making decisions. But we get a different kind of attention if we're looking at the dust going through the d sunlight. Paying attention, I'm not, my, my attention not wavering, but it's, it's restorative. Watching a river go by watching the waves in the ocean, looking across. I, I'm very fond of looking at water. I think it's, it's uh, I think of it as my Norwegian genes because most Norwegians live next to the water. I grew up with the water everywhere. So they have water, just this. So when I drive north on Highway 101 to San Francisco, and you know where the old um, 49er football stadium was, what was it called? Uh, hmm? Candlestick Park. Just before you get there going north, you're right next to the, the, the bay. That's like my favorite part of 101. I always try to look at the ocean, at the, the bay, because it's just the water's there and glance at it. So there's a way in which the point I'm making is that um, we have, you know, the, the idea of paying attention doesn't have to be work. It can be characterized by tranquility. And, and tranquil attention is restorative. Could something like the, the river of your breathing be something you can sit back on the riverbank and watch, the coming and going, the flow of the breathing, the rising and passing of the belly? There's some way of connecting to that, that it's not work. I have to be focused, I have to try harder here, let's get to work here mind wanders off and you jerk it back. I've, sometime pra I've sometimes practiced um, the um, 
sledgehammer approach to mindfulness. I kind of like pounce on my breath, like, come on, let's get, let's get serious here. You know, just, but, uh, so it can be very tiring that way. Is there another way of relating to the experience of breathing that maybe is more like looking at a, the a water and a river flow by or looking at the clouds drift by overhead or the or the leaves fluttering in a tree in the you know in the wind something that allows the mind wants to pay attention is doesn't waver doesn't leave doesn't get distracted but is not work but has a, a, a tranquil watching. And so this uh, investigation factor of awakening uh, is sometimes talked about as being interest. Kind of a simple, in the, but the kind of interest that is like um, the interest of watching the dust or the river go by or the clouds or looking at the rain. So the important thing I'm trying to point I'm trying to make here is that there is a way that attention can operate that is restorative and it's not work. And I think that what's characterized by restorative attention is uh, there's some kind of an element of tranquility in it. And what does it take to have tranquility in our practice, tranquility in our attention? I think a lot of it has, to, some of it has to, the answer to that is uh, what we don't, what it doesn't have, what we don't do. We don't strain. We don't have operate on a sledgehammers of shoulds. We don't have ambition and greed. We don't, we're not duty, dutiful. I'm supposed to do this and therefore I'll really bear down. We don't measure ourselves, uh, whether we're a successful or unsuccessful person, by how well we're doing. Never occurred to me when I was looking at the dust after my nap that I was a good dust watcher. <laughs> boy, I'm good at this. Boy, oh boy, you know. But maybe I should be better at it. Let me see if I can, you know, I'll try to amp it up a little bit and, you know, it's, it's good, but it's, you know, it could be better, I'm sure. And, and I'm sure my neighbor does a better job, but the neighbor does everything better than me, so I'm going to do it harder. So, so there's all this extra stuff we bring along. So one of the hallmarks of this attention that we use in practice is its simplicity. Radical simplicity. There's very little, there's, there's very little doing in it. Of course, there's some kind of doing, showing up, being here. Very little doing. I feel very grateful for my Zen background, having done Zen practice first, because uh, there was such a strong dedication to showing up with our bodies, physically, in posture and presence and breathing, that, um, that it was easier to discover uh, that the the um, the effort was to be here physically, and the attention followed along. It was like an after effect, or it was like uh, it was it, it it was there, but it wasn't the focus. Whereas mindfulness, sometimes because we emphasize mindfulness awareness, sometimes a lot of attention goes into the doing of awareness. 
But you know, you don't want to do too much. You don't want to do too little. What's that? Right, what's the right balance of effort where effort disappears because you know it's, it's not working against for or against, not, not ramping up or ramping down. It's just just there. So the tranquility factor of awakening. Part of the clue to finding this tranquility factor of awakening is that it follows the joy factor. That there's, uh, in the following tranquility comes the concentration factor. In my early years of practice, where I thought I was supposed to get concentrated, I'd kind of try to do it out of active will the laser focus from the control tower. And, um, and uh, you know, I was miserable, but I was going to get concentrated, you know. But what I learned is that um, it doesn't really work to get concentrated as an act of will, where you're striving and pushing. But it does work to get concentrated if there's a lot of letting go, and there's a lot of, a, a sense of well-being in what's going on. And so joy is a sense of well-being. So this, you know, if you try to focus too much on being tranquil, before we have modicum of just being content here, learning the art of being content or having a sense of well-being. But it doesn't make sense to have of contentment or a sense of well-being unless you know how to be whole, wholehearted in what you do, your engagement in the practice, the effort. But maybe it doesn't make sense to know how to engage wholeheartedly until you know how to be interested. It doesn't make sense to be interested until you know something about how to be mindful. So there's many, many of these lists in the Buddhist tradition are, are kind of understood to be sequential. They build on each other. They're conditional relationships between each other. So we show up to practice mindfulness. And mindfulness is kind of a kind of a practice of wakefulness. Sometimes I think that it might be better to use the word wakefulness more than mindfulness. When you're breathing, be awake to the fact that you're breathing. I don't know how it, it strikes your ears to hear that, but for me, I, the word mindfulness a little bit, uh, kind of my, without thinking about it, by instinct or something, implies a little bit of work. Like, I've got to do something, be mindful. Where if I say be awake to the breath, that's like more like make space for it or be allow it to come into awareness or create a space, create an openness to its presence. Be, be awake to your emotions. Not much you have to do when you're awake. If you're mindful, then, oh, what do they say? I'm supposed to do first do mindfulness of the body and then I'm supposed to note it. And was it noted first and then my body? And, one of, the, one of these teachers like Gil say, it's so confusing, so many instructions, right? 
But when you say be awake to your emotions, I, I think it. I think it kind of lends itself to a different kind of feeling, attitude. Just be awake. Kind of like don't don't make it a problem. Just be awake to it. And then with awake, there's interest. What what are you what are you awake to? And then there can be an engagement wholeheartedly. Let's really be here for it. Let's really, but not try too hard. Let's really be here for the dust in the sun in the sunbeam. But you can't, you know. It doesn't make sense to strain to look at the dust better. Wholeheartedly, you know, with a kind of attention that maybe is tranquil or restorative or a kind of awareness which is pleasing, a kind of attention or a kind of presence that feels nourishing or feels good. It's easier to say than to do, but it's good to say it so you can look for it. Look for an attention, look for a presence, look for awareness, look for a wakefulness that maybe has qualities of goodness in it or rightness in it or satisfaction in it. This is good. This is good to be present. This is good to be awake. This is not like a lot of work. This is like I can't do it more than a minute. Uh, a minute. I can't do it more than a second. But that second was good. So we get to tranquility eventually. Now, when the Buddha talked about tranquility. He infused it into the instructions that he gave for meditation practice. And he talked specifically about relaxing the body or tranquilizing the body. As I said, you know, I don't like to use, I don't like to say tranquilizing. Tranquility is fine, but tranquilizing is, you know, sometimes they do that to stray dogs. So the, um, but to relax or calm the body. And uh, the Buddha specifically said in his instructions on mindfulness, feel your body, your whole body, take time to really feel it and be with it, and then relax the body. But not to relax in a way that um, you become a, you know, just you dissolve on the floor, slump on the floor, the idea is to sit upright and relax. I once read many years ago a study of um, what postures allowed human beings to relax their muscles the deepest, most fullest relaxation. And, um, and they came up with two. One was the corpse, corpse posture in yoga, you just lay on your back. And the other was to sit upright in full lotus. That is, if you're not in pain. <laughs> but there's something about the cross-legged position and sitting upright and straight that actually allows for a deep relaxation that can't happen if we're slumped too much or bent over too much or collapsed. So the idea is to take this upright posture and then allow for physical relaxation. But 
you know, don't overdo it. Because you, you don't want to be chasing relaxation all the time. But, you know, from time to time, it's good to relax and soften the belly and the shoulders. And kind of try to establish a soft softness in the body. And then the Buddha talked about being aware of your mental activities. The kind of the, the what goes on in the mind, the energies and the thoughts and all that stuff. And then he specifically talked about relaxing the mental activities. And I, I translate that to this idea of uh, the thinking muscle. There's a lot of, there can be a lot of agitation, there can be a lot of pressure, a lot of tightness, a lot of compulsion. And uh, we can sometimes feel that physically in our head, in our body, different places. And it doesn't really work to let go of thoughts if the, as I said earlier, if the, you know, if you keep squeezing the toothpaste, the toothpaste will keep coming out. If you keep squeezing your mind, it's just going to keep pumping out those thoughts. But stop squeezing the mind. Just relax the mind, soften it. And then the Buddha talked about um, the mind, that was the, that's the mental activity, relax the mental activity. And then he talked about um, being coming aware of the 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 mind, not as a activity of the mind, but the mind as kind of a state of awareness, state of consciousness. And that he didn't say to relax. For the mind, the instructions are to liberate it. Isn't that kind of neat? I think that's pretty cool. Because I don't know if awareness can be relaxed. Awareness is not something that can be relaxed, but it can be set free. We can free it from our selfishness, our self-centeredness. We can free it from our desires and aversions. We can free it from our attachments. We can free it so that awareness becomes awake in this way that it's it holds everything. There's space for everything without any reactivity. So the factor of awakening of tranquility, of serenity, of peace, to relax the body and the mind. I associate also with um, moving towards becoming whole. Because when we're divided against ourselves, divided in parts of ourselves, when we're fragmented, it's usually a sign that there's uh, stress, a sign of resistance, a sign of opposition to different parts of what goes on. And there's a relaxation factor, the tranquility factor is part of the movement towards becoming whole, not being oppositional, not being in conflict with what is, not being 
opposed to part of who we are, not be fragmented. And this idea of, of uh, moving towards a greater sense of wholeness here, where our thoughts don't fragment us, our thoughts don't judge us, when we're not chasing after beliefs and shoulds and shouldn'ts and right and wrong and not fragmented because we're pursuing our needs. Needs are important, but to pursue them too strongly is to become fragmented, to lose ourselves, oddly enough. And so this tranquility to relax, settle in, relax into who you are, relax into this body, S soften into this life here. Settle in. Perhaps you can put down the war, the fighting, the criticism, the hostility. You can put down the desires even put down the so-called needs temporarily. Not to diminish yourself, but to it's kind of say, maybe to enhance yourself, to become whole, to relax into who we are. But the kind of who we are that doesn't need any definition, doesn't need to be proven or apologized for. We don't have to apologize for ourselves or prove ourselves or, but we settle in, in a way where we're tranquil with what is, we're at ease with what is, where we can begin finding, how is it that we can have a tranquil, easeful, ease-making attention of what's happening in the present moment? easeful, ease-making way of just being with the breath. Breathing in and breathing out. Breathing in and breathing out like watching the waves come and go on the beach. We're there, but we're not working to be there. We're there. To have that kind of easeful, tranquil attention requires a certain degree of relaxation, a certain degree of a little bit letting go of the preoccupations. And then, with this sense of tranquility or contentment or ease, sense of wholeness, not being in conflict with things, not needing to prove oneself or then uh, we have a wonderful foundation for the next foundation, next uh, factor of awakening, which is samadhi. We'll 
talk about that tomorrow, but samadhi. It's usually translated as, into English as concentration. But um, I think it's unfortunate that we translate it as concentration because of its association with, kind of, again, with maybe kind of this laser focus and one-pointedness. Generally, in Buddhism, samadhi is a state, a state of being, of being composed or steady, of being whole. And so this tranquility, this relaxing, is a very important part of setting the foundation for samadhi. Kind of like preparing ourselves for going into a sacred temple. To be kind of rev reverently tranquil. Kind of reverence in preparing for samadhi. As opposed to a, um, a greedy attitude towards concentration or a reverent quiet. In uh, Indian religions, I, I get the sense in uh, some of them that the word samadhi, the non-Buddhist ones, sometimes the word samadhi is kind of the same place in some religions as nirvana is for Buddhists. It's like the ultimate kind of state, kind of. There's something about, there's, uh, there's a very sacred association with the idea of samadhi that doesn't lend itself to something that we do egotistically or greedily. But it's something that we approach with a certain kind of, I, I like the word reverence, a certain kind of healthy humility certain kind of um, care and love. A certain kind of softness. And so the this joy factor that Max talked about, sense of well-being, and then this relaxing quality, a quieting. So we sit with quiet eyes. Let our eyes become quiet and cool as we sit and practice. A quiet and perhaps cool, refreshingly cool mind. Letting the mind become quiet. As you might if you went into someone's sacred temple Maybe a big cathedral or big room where everything gets quiet as you enter into and there's a kind of attentiveness, care, reverence, maybe simply a kind of a quiet and perhaps a quiet heart. go into a sacred temple, sacred spot, and it feels safe. It feels like a place of goodness, 
wholesomeness. And so the heart then feels quiet, at rest, not troubled. And a quiet body, an untroubled body. So the tranquility factor to relax into a place of quiet attention, untroubled attention. Perhaps restorative attention because it's so peaceful and easeful. What is that? What is that kind of attention that is restorative? And how is it to stay present with a tranquil attention for what's happening? An untroubled awareness untroubled by anything that occurs. the body feels deeply settled and at home here and the and the mind is awake 